0: lean in it's time for the soft shoulder podcast i am your host danette relic of radical creative sanctuary inviting spaciousness for your mind and your heart welcome i'm glad you're here the soft shoulder is your time your time to slow down and fuel up on self-love support so you can make the most of your gorgeous life. Join me here. Everyone needs a soft shoulder. Imagine it. A suburban Catholic high school cafeteria in the very early 90s, and a young Danette is wearing a plaid kilt and a with Regulation McCarthy's Burgundy Knee Socks. <laughs> Probably eating a very greasy chocolate chip cookie. They were so good. Ugh, I could still <laughs> picture the little bag they came in. Just dotted with grease. And just how delicious they were under that red heat lamp. <laughs> the Cafeteria. And this young dinette, She is filled to the brim. Equal parts... Adolescent sexual energy with nowhere to go, and the insecurity of a baby deer in a crowded mall with very little tools to manage either of those things. Um, I went to a school that wore a high school that wore a uniform, and maybe you also did, and maybe you'll have this same observation that I have about this. So, what I noticed about going to a school with strict rules and uniforms is that people will get creative with the power that they do have, and they will find (laughs) loopholes where they can manage to express themselves within the context of enforced sameness. And I find this fascinating because I've always been fascinated with self-expression with creativity, with the ways in which we find space for these things. So there was two very um, specific memories I have about how students at my school did this. The first one is an episode with knee socks. (laughs) So when I first started school, there was very strict, you know, only gray or burgundy knee socks, and they had to be the socks from the, the uniform store, basically. And over the years, parents complained because they could find black or white knee socks and or tights um, at the local mall. And that was a lot more accessible to a lot of families than driving downtown to get these burgundy socks. Um, So there was some, you know, we pushed, we managed to get that change involved. So all is well. (laughs) So now, obviously, like a part of uniform design in a Catholic school is, you know, I don't know the history of this whole thing. But I'm, my my sense was always that it's supposed to um, promote like a conservative atmosphere, right? It's also levels the economic differences between students that might be more visible if they were, you know, showcasing what kind of clothing their families could afford. If everyone's wearing the same thing, it, you know, keeps everybody supposedly on this level more level playing field and it helps students focus on you know god and their studies and not you know letting their rock and roll hormones run wild or whatever they do at public schools (laughs) I'm being sarcastic anyways so the uniform you know was not just there for fun right there was like a purpose of discipline order it had a bigger intention um and a big part of that is, right, eliminating the distractions, um, you know, with relationships between the students. But also, I you know, I really loved waking up. I'm surprised. Someone like me with a uniform every day, you would think that was t- torture. Um, I loved waking up and knowing exactly what I was wearing every day for like four or five years. <laughs> like, that was amazing for me and for my mom. Um And for laundry and all that stuff, it really just, you know, there wasn't really a lot of things to be distracted about in terms of what am I wearing tomorrow? It was pretty clear. But the trick with the socks, okay, so we did have a rule around how long the kilt needed to be. Like there was a measurement, I think it was like an inch or a couple of fingers like above the knee or something was like, you know, a general consensus of like, okay, that's where your kilt needs to be. Um... And that was something that they could measure and control, but the (laughs) teachers were not quite prepared for what would happen when thigh-high socks became popular. Now, the trick with thigh-high socks is that technically, it covers more skin than the knee sock. It's really a halfway point between the knee sock and the full tight, which are both completely like approved uniform items. But I don't need to tell you, listener, the difference between those two things, right? <laughs> like, I remember the teacher's faces struggling to find words when they challenged a student on this particular sock choice, like those aren't uniform socks. And the student, you know, the young female student would be like, what's wrong with these socks, knowing that the teacher just couldn't quite put that into words. Um, we all knew what they were trying not to say. <laughs> and it was our job as teenagers to question these things and to push boundaries, right? That's what teenagers are doing. So that was the first place that I thought was really interesting and stood out. I'm like, this is, this is really amusing. <laughs> and the second thing that I remember about a, a loophole that our students found was, is this adornment or is this destruction? So part of my high school uniform was wearing a sweater We had options of what kinds of sweaters, but some form of this burgundy regulation sweater with a school name on it. And we had to wear these sweaters, I believe from like October 1st until May 31st. Like there was a calendar year. It had a little bit of exceptions around September and June because of the heat. Uh, And it wasn't reasonable to ask them, but we would have prefects in the hall, like volunteer students patrolling, and you really could be sent home if you didn't have your sweater. So you had to, had to be wearing it <laughs> during most of the months. But even after that, you had to have it on you, like in your hand, in your bag to show that you have the sweater. It was really a thing. Like the, the line, where's your sweater would have been a really amazing drinking game at high if you were an underage drinker and felt like playing a game. But like, I really have no idea how many times I heard, where's your sweater? Anyhow, so one day Two creative individuals, we will call them Ryan and Rory, and they showed up with their sweaters bedazzled. And I mean bedazzled. And this was like, at that time, I knew what a bedazzler was, but like no one was using one. It was like, where the hell did they get a bedazzler, these guys? (laughs) I remember seeing them and just being like, that totally looks like a bedazzled sweater. Sure enough, it was. And again, the teachers had that look on their faces. The look that says, you and I both know this is bullshit, please knock it off. But also they couldn't quite find the technical rule that was going to (laughs) govern whether or not this was like out of line, you know, and I remember Ryan and Rory standing wide eyed in front of like, you know, a small group of us who were watching, being entertained by this confrontation in the cafeteria. And they insisted that they were following the rules and they had their sweaters and they didn't cut the sweaters. They just added jewels. And, you know, we were allowed to wear jewelry at the school. And how is this any different? There was no rule against bedazzling. (laughs) Maybe there is now, thanks to those two. Um, So we all pushed the boundaries, gauging what we could get away with and how exhausted our teachers would be to turn a blind eye, right? Like, Another common thing to be done was like wearing black heavy metal band t-shirts underneath the white dress shirts so that it was totally against the rules, but it's a very easy thing to cover up, right? You button up, you put the sweater over it. It's like the teacher can't see it. And I remember many teachers, now as an adult, I just have so much more compassion for what we were putting them through. But I remember many teachers just begging the student to not let them see it. Be like, please I don't want to deal with this. Like they had enough on their plate. They're like, don't, let's not have this argument. Hide it from me, please. (laughs) Uh, All to keep us safe and learning. But anyway, institutional power dynamics aside, there are some takeaways here that apply right now that apply to self-love and just living your life. You don't have to be in a Catholic high school. You don't have to be wearing a uniform. So the first one is be discerning about what rules you follow. Like we had rules around our uniform, what rules are you following in your life now? And where did they come from? What were they originally in service of and are they serving you? Do they align with your values? Where can order serve you in your bigger quest of discipline and devotion to loving yourself and living your most beautiful life. Sometimes rules really help us. Sometimes they're just in the way. So what rules are you following? Be discerning about those. Question them like a teenager questions thigh high socks. Number two, remember that self-expression, yours included, is relentless. In a sea of gray and burgundy and white, we will find other ways to reveal who we are what we love and what we believe in and this is beautiful I think so like even when you think you are hiding <laughs> often like those Megadeth t-shirts under white dress shirts your beauty will find a way to be seen you might think you're fooling people but it's it might not be fooling everybody this is a reminder of your life force as a wild creative being you can try to block it, but it is highly resilient and resourceful. So just remember that. Keep an eye out for it. Where is it like seeping out? Where is your creative self-expression finding little ways to adorn your life and your choices? And number three, the last one here is sometimes it's just not worth the argument. You know, we get to choose our battles. It can be helpful to connect with others on the parts that we can both agree on like sometimes you know when the teacher would lean in I always loved it when they would lean in and go look I know this rule is stupid but you know this is what we're working with can we help one another <laughs> You know, like, like the teachers weren't there to like oh I can't wait to just tell people what to wear and police their clothes all day like they weren't interested either so where <laughs> where are the parts where we you're in agreement with and You know, how can you help one another? How can you choose the battles that you're having? This works with other people in our lives. And it also works with yourself. Dear listener, what unnecessary battles are you having with yourself? And what does self-love want you to do instead? So, that's a lot to chew on, and we branched away from, if you recall, we started this with young Danette eating her greasy cookie in the cafeteria. So let's get back. <laughs> I'm going la- to attempt to land this plane. Uh, thank you for being with me. <laughs> so let's get back to this. We're chewing the greasy chocolate chip cookie. We've got young Danette in her kilt in the high school cafeteria. Now, what does one do when they are equal parts teenage sexual energy and terrified insecurity? great question. (laughs) How did you handle it? Um, I was mostly a rule follower growing up. So I would not do something as permanent and bold as the bedazzler. Instead, I added enamel pins or novelty buttons (laughs) next to my giant kilt pin and wore them on my skirt. And one of these pins said, life's not easy, and neither am I. I know (laughs) what a fantastic way to pretend I wasn't interested in sex while making sure that the idea of sex would come up while talking to anyone who made the effort to read the pin, the pin that was on the edge of my shortened right to the rule that I could get away with hem of my kilt. And it required whoever wanted to know what it said to lean in closely to my thighs to read it because obviously I refused to tell anyone what it said if they just hollered the question across the hall, right? Now, was this a totally transparent move? Absolutely. Did I know that even then? <laughs> Probably. And also, you know, I was a child. When I look back at that, it makes me laugh. I just want to like scoop her up and be like, "Oh God, I can see right through you, didn't it? What is happening?" <laughs> and where is this going? <clears throat> I want to talk about the idea of being easy. More specifically, the pride that I did once sincerely feel about identifying as not being easy. Now, while this particular button and this particular story, this, this, this way of talking about easy is obviously deeply tied in slut shaming and double standards that I grew up with about how girls were supposed to feel about sex or not feel about sex. And that's not the kind of easy that I'm talking about today, but it was the first time that I began identifying easy as something undesirable. For me and, for, and in the eyes of my peers, I don't know where, multiple sources I picked this up, but easy was not respected. I learned that easy was cheap. I learned that easy was not something to be proud of, in particular for me as a female person, um, but generally that was it. It was not respected, not something to be proud of. And like many of us, I had a lot of internalized misogyny then that I was completely oblivious to. I even wrote a completely hypocritical article for the school paper, relentlessly and righteously judging how short the kilts were becoming. As I grew up (laughs) in through the high school ranks and the younger students were who's kills were getting shorter than mine and that's the truth right like they were just shorter than mine already was I was already one of those people oh my god wasn't it fun being a teenager you guys (laughs) I am so thrilled that I did not have Facebook available to me in high school because I got to grow and make these mistakes in relative privacy and choose to share these amusing stories (laughs) with you now but You know, this is how deeply, the fact that I was so passionate and like wrapped up in some kind of weird, um, some kind of weird mission, some this internalized misogyny was like, that was how deep I had absorbed the social ideas about what it meant to be easy. I didn't question it. I was terrified of it. I was doing everything I could to be seen as someone who wasn't. And then I was attacking other people that were, you know, supposedly sending signals that they might be. Now, it took many years for me to unpack (laughs) my own desire and question how I came to hold the beliefs that I had about the word easy and what that meant to me. You know, it was a lot of work, it was a lot of reading, It was a lot of waking up, um, questioning my beliefs becoming an adult. So Phew, thank God that work is done, right? (laughs) Hold on a second. So the word easy is still here. It's still here. It's still slinking around, making people feel bad. In my life, no longer around slut-shaming, but for shaming those who dare to step outside of the hustle. And I have soaked up these messages Too for a very long time. But not anymore. I am loving the word easy. Dear listener, do you find yourself comparing successes with others? You know, maybe you see somebody who has some success and you maybe have thought or even said the phrase, well, yeah, but you know, it's easy for them. Maybe you said it in a way that dismisses what they've created and excuses you for not following your own dreams. Oh, it's easy for them. Hands up if you have thought this about anyone you admire, that it's easy for them. And you say it like it's a bad thing. (laughs) Sometimes, like think of the tone that you say it with, right? You might be like, well, no, it's just a matter of fact. Think about the tone. Do you say it with like, joy and genuine appreciation and celebration of their good fortune, do you even know if it's true that this was easy for someone else? Keep in mind, you're looking at the end result of success. You have no idea what that person does behind the scenes, because chances are you're just you're looking on the surface, possibly just online, but even just on what you're experiencing outwardly of a person. You have no idea what it takes, if it's true. Easy is often the result of deep, hard work. Internal work, work we can't see. Discipline, devotion, training, persistence. Ballet dancers make it look easy, like they're just spinning around. But if you've ever studied ballet, you know. You know what it takes to be able to make it look that easy. I knew a woman who was a single mother, and she had been through quite a lot in her life. And she was quiet about the struggles that she'd been through. You know, she was funny, she was easygoing. She didn't talk about what it took for her to get there. Only the people very close to her would know what it really took for her to be where she was every day showing up for her young daughter. And her daughter was joyful, imaginative, free, and so kind and well behaved, not controlled. And the mother would often hear from other parents how lucky she was to have a child like this, as though she didn't work every day, every hour to parent with consciousness at every turn, people saw the results, the success of her hard work in this adorable, wonderful child, and they dismissed it by saying it was easy. Like it was luck. When we dismiss people this way, we don't see them. We disconnect instead of being curious about what it took, instead of being curious about what we can learn. Instead of the opportunity to, to acknowledge somebody for their hard work, for their devotion, their dedication. What a beautiful gift we could be offering. <laughs> like the other parents who are just like, oh, you're so lucky you have that great kid. That conversation could have gone differently. If they had known what it was and what she was doing, they could have just said, wow, you know, I, I really admire your dedication to parenting. I really admire your patience. And what would that have changed between those other parents and this single mom? Whole relationships. There are big productivity paradigms in place in our culture with a long history of the misuse of power. Even without knowing the historical roots of this, we feel it and we are reminded every day but how we need to hustle and be more productive, effective, do more in less time. How did the phrase I'll sleep when I'm dead, how was this ever an inspiring statement? <laughs> Where do you devalue someone else's contribution or work because you've decided that it seems easy? Here's some common places that society does. In the arts, if you are creative, you know what I'm talking about. The joy, if you are working in the arts, there is a perception that the joy of doing something that you love is payment enough. That it is just like, oh, I'll hire them to do this mural. They'll have so much fun doing that. Wouldn't it be nice to just paint all day as if this is play, as if this has no skill involved? Or, you know, what about something like uh, if you are a yoga teacher, you know, or a meditation teacher, you know, does it look like you're working hard when you are sitting on a mat at the front of the room for an hour? Do other people (laughs) go like, oh, that sounds so nice, without acknowledging the kind of work you have to do to hold space in a place where you are teaching people meditation, also, athletes. Oh, yeah, they just throw a ball around. Like, I can't do that. It would take me, I can't even imagine how long it would take me <laughs> to become an athlete that would be paid for my athletic skill. You know, when someone can do something, something amazing in five minutes, it often took decades for them to be able to do that in five minutes. You know, I come from an arts background, so that's something I know very well, where it's like, I might be able to, and many of my friends can sit down and do something, create a logo, draw a picture, whatever it is, take a photograph, you know, and people on the outside of that will be like, oh, like, why is that $500? It took you five minutes. It takes years. (laughs) There's so many things going on. It takes years to be able to do it in less time. But easy still gets a rough, it gets a rough time in like many circles, right? Uh, Think of the terms like the phrase taking the easy way out or no one said it would be easy. What is your relationship with the word easy? I invite you to think about how ease has been a gift. A truly valuable feel-it-in-your-bones gift what is the impact on you when things are allowed to be easy? Do you ever find yourself just delightfully surprised with like you try to make plans with someone and you think, oh my God, scheduling. <laughs> this is going to be a nightmare. Trying to make dinner plans with these six friends. It's going to be a nightmare. And suddenly it just kind of works. Like you throw out a date, everyone's free. And it's like, oh, what a feeling when it's easy. When it's like, wow, we just... One day, and we can all make it. How incredible is that? So, when the solutions are surprisingly simple, or when you don't have to double and triple check, when you don't have to install new software to take action, maybe when you finish something earlier than you thought, you're surprised at how fast something was. You turn something on, and it works. There's all these little moments that we experience ease. And what happens to you? What's the impact on you when you experience that? Have you ever had a conversation with a coach? You feel like your life is a mess. You don't know what to do. And in 30 minutes, you remember everything that you already knew and you become so clear about a little tweak It'll completely change the direction and you're just pumped to take action. I have witnessed so many of those calls, both with me as the coach and also on the receiving end. It is extraordinary how easy it can be sometimes. And that sensation of ease in the body, it's the sensation of faith. It's when all is relaxed. All is at ease. All is allowing. You're in a flow state. You are receptive, calmed, soothed, regulated. All of your functions, they can exhale. They can do what they need to do without resistance, without tension. We can hear. We can feel. We can breathe. We can be okay as we are. We can stop Proving ourselves, we can let go, we can release, and we can just be. It's a beautiful thing when things are easy. And look, I love being productive and efficient, okay? (laughs) I get a huge kick out of clever solutions and life hacks that sincerely bring ease into my day. I really do there's nothing wrong with those things there's nothing wrong with wanting and making improvements but a lot of what we're talking about here is language and perception you know when I say it's not easy being easy (laughs) you know it's because of our conditioning and our beliefs that's why it's not easy that's why it takes courage but it's totally worth it here's an experiment you can try to allow more easy into your life, stop proving your value. Do you do this? Where do you do this? Where do you try to prove yourself? One of the many lessons, a very valuable lesson that I learned in my years of teaching and facilitating is that when I come armed with a billion exercises That was often to prove that I was valuable as a facilitator, you know, as I was learning. Of course, there was the, oh, I want to be prepared and I want to use these skills and, you know, all those things. There was like sincere desire to do a good job, sure. But then, you know, it kind of went on past, (laughs) was it serving the students or not? You know, like, was it helping them that I came with like a billion exercises You know it so proving myself as a facilitator I would literally bring value (laughs) like I think these things are valuable and that value was something outside of myself right they were tricks they were tools they were exercises as opposed to myself my energy my mastery at listening and holding space my example that we are enough just showing up to this table together. And if I was doing a creative workshop, whether it was uh, teaching creative writing or collage and self-expression workshops, when the students and the participants, they had something that they needed to do, like writing or collaging, I would feel guilty at first if I wasn't doing anything while my students were writing or gluing. Even though, like, (laughs) the last thing I wanted when making my own collages was having a facilitator hover over me like a hummingbird, asking me how I feel about every move I'm making. Like, this does not work. (laughs) This is not helpful. Holding space is the value because there are so many other places in the world where We don't get the opportunity to just drop into silence, resist the temptation to go check the fridge or do a load of laundry or get back on our phone. Me sitting there at the table holding space for people to make a collage, to vision their future, to write their story, that was a value. Now imagine this quality in a massage therapist, okay? So imagine they were under the same false impression that I had been under. And they needed to show how hard they were working to prove that they were of value to you. What would that look like? Imagine them filling the silence. You get on the table. You're under the sheet. You're ready to, you know, you're in pain. You're stressed out. And they're just telling you all about the science that they know. (laughs) Imagine them telling you about every exam that they took about why they are qualified to be your massage therapist. Then imagine them making sure that they use every technique they've ever learned, right? (laughs) Like, you're there for your back? Who cares? We're going to show you all these cool finger tricks that I learned. Like, what if they used every oil they had available? Imagine them like sighing and grunting and showing signs of exertion as some kind of status marker. Look how hard I'm working. I am earning this money. I don't know about you, but I don't want my massage therapist to hustle. It is of huge value to me if I'm laying on this table that this place is peaceful, that they are calm, that they are skilled, they are tuned in and listening so that I can tune in and be in my body. Even if they didn't do all these things, like the comedic things I'm describing, but like grunting and using like 75 oils, you know, what if you could just tell that they just made everything hard? You could just see it in their face, they're just stressing about everything. In that context, you know, it makes a difference. If you've ever had a massage where they lay your hands on you, confidently with just the right amount of pressure. And they hold still while you breathe into the sensation they don't rush the movement forward. With their hands when they do move, they move so slowly across your body, gently and thoroughly connecting with your muscles, slowing everything down. And they can do this because they weren't up late last night, banging off emails, and they didn't need to prove anything to you because your massage is not about them. It's about you. And they made it easy for you to allow that too. You don't want them to fill in spaces. The value is that they don't fill in the spaces. It's very clear to use the example of massage therapy, but look around because more and harder and faster is not always better. Do you know who really makes it look easy? Is Alison Tarr at Tech Coven. When I got my three card reading from her, I had my breath taken away at how insightful, how challenging in a good way and resonant her interpretations were for where I was in that moment. For the question that I'd asked her, I still think about that reading and I still feel guided by it, even though it was many months ago. Can anyone pull three cards and look up meanings on the internet? Of course they can. But what Allison does is weave depth and compassion, power and wisdom into this experience. And I know that she has been passionately exploring tarot for years now. And I also know that her courageous living in the realms of magic and mental health are infusing this passion experience this for yourself by heading over to techcoven.com this episode and every episode of the soft shoulder is sponsored by techcoven this podcast episode topic came to me because i facilitated something recently and the feedback i got from participants was you made it easy dear listener I am celebrating this (laughs) and I'm sharing it with you because it is so important and I feel like it is so deeply woven into self-love self-marriage how we treat ourselves what we allow for ourselves because I used to feel defensive and doubtful about a compliment like that someone had said oh you made this easy I would worry I would worry and I would hear those cultural paradigms like, oh, I got away with something. But I take pride in this now. I take great pride in it now because I know what a gift it is to create that feeling for others. And we can't create that feeling for others if we're not creating it in ourselves. How radical it can be to stand confidently in the value of ease. It shocks other people. Let it. That's fine. The world will try to shake you. They will try to shame you. They will be disturbed. It doesn't have to be a struggle. There is a beautiful, beautiful song. I highly recommend if you would like to um, create a a meditation practice this week for some self-love homework to just play one song every morning. And just to sit and listen to it. You don't have to sit on a fancy pillow. You don't have to touch fingers to anything. You don't have to have any special crystals. Okay, just fire up this one song I'm going to recommend and just listen to it. Just listen to it. Lay down and listen to it. Go for a walk and listen to it. Really let it fall over you. The song is by Bjork. It's from the album Vespertine. and the song is called Undo. The song's lyrics include... It's not meant to be a strife. It's not meant to be a struggle uphill. You're trying too hard. Surrender. Give yourself in. You're trying too hard. You're trying too hard. It's a very beautiful, soothing sound. I highly recommend that. That's Undo by Bjork. And your self-love homework, if you choose to have some this week, is to listen to it every morning. Start your day with that song. You can look it up on Spotify. Also, look me up on Spotify. Um, <laughs> Dinette Relic, all one word, lowercase. I have two playlists on there. I have one called Love Your Sweet Self, which is like songs that you can imagine you are singing to yourself. And now I've just released the first of the seven different breakup soundtracks. I'm going to be releasing one for each of the seven houses of heartbreak so the very first house as you will recall is shatter and shock Um, that soundtrack is up on spotify heartbreak house one shatter and shock under or if you look under dinette relic you should find it there what if it was easy dear listener whatever it is that you're going through right now what if it was easy Where can you allow more ease? Where can you rebel against social, cultural ideas about ease and make it easier for yourself? Bring that flow in. Enjoy the value of it, the experience of it in your body. Imagine this gift. What a beautiful way to show yourself that you love yourself by allowing it to be easy. By saying this is enough. Why don't we find the ease? Here, let me make it easier. What a gift this is. It's a gift that we often will give to others, things that we can do to make it easier for others. It's like, oh, let me open the door for you. Let me pay for the lunch that we just had. Let me bring a pie over, whatever it is. We do this for others. Let's do this for you. When you are in a state of ease, you have more spaciousness. You have more perceived time, more, which is real. <laughs> Your perception of time, if you don't have enough or if you have a lot, either one will be true depending on what you're perceiving. You will have more energy. You will have more to give. Create the ease in you first because you are someone worth loving. It all starts with you. Let it be easy. Dear listener, would you like to talk about how you might create a life with more ease and love and spaciousness? I have made it easy for you to book a call with me. Go to RadicalCreativeSanctuary.com. It's right there on the homepage. There'll be a link you can click to book your call. You can schedule a call with me today why postpone ease and joy? I love self-love work. You don't have to do this alone. And thank you so much for allowing The Soft Shoulder to be a part of your day. We'll talk to you soon.